Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 151. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Tuesday, Steelers Nation. A happy 4th of July to everybody out there listening. Hopefully you have a great day and a safe holiday at that. Dave, how you doing? I'm ready to put it in reverse today. <laughs> you what, know what, what does I- that mean? You know that uh, that video that uh, roams around every Fourth of July with Terry in the wheelchair and uh, setting the fireworks off, and he can't get the. Uh, it's an older, it's an mm. older video on on YouTube that circulated uh, for a while. Uh, Terry is the guy in the wheelchair that tries to light off those fireworks, and he can't put it in, can't put his wheelchair in reverse, and the fireworks are going off right next to him, and somebody's yelling to him, "Put it in reverse, Terry! <laughs> put it in reverse!" I think I think he ended up getting a new wheelchair out of all that uh, oh, wow. and, and and all years ago. But I would expect that video to circulate uh, uh, around or what's left of Twitter. Uh, I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. should say today they got that thing pretty, uh, pretty messed up right now. But, uh, uh, you know, did my my big concern is hopefully, you know, I, I, I get real happy when Fourth of July is in the middle of the week and not on the weekend uh, because. Because obviously I have a dog and anybody with uh, with a dog listening to this can probably relate. Dogs don't generally like fireworks going off right outside of their their mm-hmm. house. And I know in the past uh, in the neighborhood we live in, normally it's not that bad. But I think in the past when Fourth uh, of July uh, has been on the weekends, man, they, they get right out there in the street. And uh, I, I'm paying for all the things that I used to do as a kid that probably drove <laughs> uh, adults crazy. So I'm getting a dose of my own medicine. So uh, obviously hoping. Uh, tonight that there's no fireworks outside that uh, uh, that 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 drive the dog crazy. But uh, yeah, look, I mean, slow, slow time of the year right now. Right. Uh, mandatory mini camps over with got that. You know, what what is it? Six, seven week uh, low until training camp starts at the end of the month. And not a lot of news going on right now. Nope, not at all. One last Fourth of July question for you, though, Dave. Are you a hot dog eating contest guy? Are you going to tune in? I think Joey Chestnut says he wants to break his own record this year. Yeah, I'll probably watch it uh, just out of sheer fact that, and here's the other thing right now, you know, uh, Every every dang time the Pirates play a West Coast team, even if it's in Pittsburgh, and specifically if it's out here in the West Coast like the Dodgers, they black me out from this Mm. from from these games and i think the other night uh the the, the brewers game was an apple tv only game and mm-hmm. that was the walk off uh, yeah i couldn't watch yeah it it was yeah on apple uh, tv uh you know how does major league baseball expect people to watch their pro you know product i mean and i've been a subscriber to uh mlb tv for for years you know and it seems like i run through a long stretch of games where you know get all because this is the only time of year i can only watch the parts you know and and at least a game all the way through and Mm -hmm. lately i've been missing a lot of those (laughs) as well too there so what was the original question a hot dog eating contest you took that in a different direction (laughs) yeah i sure did uh 
Uh, did you see the stat? Uh, boy, we're going off the rails yep. here or early yeah. here, but uh, uh, Americans supposedly eat something like, was it 70 something hot dogs a year? Yeah, I do my part. I try to do, boost that do number you? Up. I'm a hot dog guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how, how many hot dogs do you? <laughs> I don't know if it's 70. <laughs> uh, do you eat 30, you think? Yeah, I'd say probably do 30 a year. What about you? Are you a hot dog? Man, I, might no? eat, I might eat three or four a year. A maybe, year, that's it. Maybe. And, and I mean, I, it's not like I, 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 it's not like I dislike them. I just, it's not, you know, it's not my food of choice, I guess. There, So I was kind of blown away. Uh, to to see those kind of numbers, you know, because what seventy? That's that's a that's a hot dog. What every seventy five a year would be what like a hot dog, or seventy a year would be like a hot dog every five days, wouldn't it? Yeah, so about once a week. That seems reasonable. Ah, uh, no, it's not. <laughs> not, <laughs> okay. not to me. All right, uh, we hit baseball. We hit Fourth of July. We hit Terry in the wheelchair. We hit uh, hot dog. I, I I might tune into that though today. We'll see. All right, let's uh, let's talk about some Steelers here. Not that there's any urgent news going on, but uh, before we get into your 90 and 30 series and kind of continue to talk through those names, let's talk about some other things that we've you know listened to and read about and written about. And let's start here with Broderick Jones, Pittsburgh Steelers first round pick. And I thought you had a really interesting article about the pretty exclusive club that Jones would join if he becomes... Is it is it if he becomes the week one starter or just starts at all his rookie year? It is week one starter week one. at an offensive line position, and I'll, I'll kind of clarify why I had to had to make that a little bit specific too. Uh, and this club, uh, according to the research that I did, of week one rookie offensive lineman starters for the Steelers isn't very long. However, comma it recently grew by two and in the same year. And obviously I'm talking about Kendrick Green and Dan Moore Jr. Just a couple of seasons ago in 2021, both those guys started uh, uh, week one, obviously Dan Moore Jr. at left tackle and Kendrick Green at center. And boy, what a monumental uh, occurrence that was, right? And it kind of played out as not being all that positive uh, either when it went, when it, when it, when it came to those two there, but uh, uh, those two guys, Kendrick green and Dan Moore jr. Are the most recent additions uh, to the club that had been really, really uh, small uh, ahead of them doing. So uh, you go back to the, the first occur- occurrence that I found of this happening uh, with the Steelers with a rookie, uh, offensive lineman starting week one was Terry Long way back in 1984. That year, Terry Long was a uh, fourth round draft pick of the Steelers out of East Carolina. He wound up opening his rookie season as the team's starting left guard. And there was a reason that happened because uh, then starting left guard Craig Wolfley, who everybody should recognize that name, uh, was sidelined for that week one contest after experiencing sudden back pain pregame. That game uh, against the Chiefs is actually on YouTube as well, too. And mm. Boy, did that send me down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> Yesterday, you know how it is. You pull up these games looking for a specific thing. You turn around 35 minutes later and you're watching the watching the dang game. Uh, but uh, even if you look at the uh, 
if you go to the uh, right after the opening kickoff and the graphics and they show who the starting linemen uh, are, it shows Craig Wolfley as being the starting uh, 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 left guard in that game. But evidently he had some sort of sharp pain, sudden back pain pregame that that ended up him uh, not uh, not playing in that game. And, and uh, Terry Long ended up making this start at left guard in place of uh, Craig Wolfley uh, uh, for that game. Terry Long went on to start seven games in total as a rookie for the Steelers in 1984. Uh, and he wound up playing 89 uh, or starting 89 for his eight year career in, 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 in Pittsburgh there. So he was the first, uh, occurrence that I could find as far as a rookie Steelers offensive line starting week one. Uh, after that, Tom Ricketts in 1989, uh, he was a first round selection out of the university of Pittsburgh. His first NFL start also came in week one of his rookie season. Uh, however, there, there's another kind of, uh, asterisk i guess if you will when it comes to that uh he came out of uh, out of pittsburgh as a as as thought to be the left you know uh, a left tackle starting left tackle his first start came at left guard as well too uh and that happened because he suffered a thumb injury uh that summer i think june or july broke broke a thumb or something along those lines and the decision was made to play him at left guard to help him protect the injury per se hmm. uh there so uh he eventually moved back to left tackle during his rookie season but he only wound up starting two games that year the first two in fact and in total Rickett started just 13 games in his three seasons in Pittsburgh uh, for the Steelers, but he was also a week one rookie starter on the offensive line for them. Uh, then you have to fast forward all the way to 2000 to Marvell Smith, um, uh, uh, second round draft pick, obviously out of Arizona state. And by week one, he was, uh, his rookie season, he had secured the starting right tackle position. Uh, and he, uh, went on to start 108 games for the Steelers in his nine seasons in Pittsburgh. And obviously most of those came as left tackles. So through 2000, as far as I can find, you had three rookies on, uh, offensive linemen for the Steelers who started week one for the team. Uh, the next occurrence was 10 years later, obviously Marquise Pouncey, right? Uh, first round draft pick out of Florida. Uh, remember the, uh, well, you, I don't know. You probably just, uh, how old were you in 2010, Alex? Oh God. Was I, uh, 17? 17. Woo. All right. Got your driver's license. <laughs> no, I, 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 I was so scared. I'll take it down a rabbit hole for a second. I was like terrified of driving growing up. I didn't start driving until I was in college. So yeah, I was. Wow. I was, uh, no way. Right. Yeah. I think you were probably a little different. You were driving <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was well still, before 17. I was, was still, I was still in the old man's car at like 12, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're a little different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 2010, uh, obviously Pouncey was the first round draft pick out of Florida that year. And that, uh, that summer he beat out Justin veteran, Justin Hartwig, uh, for the, uh, for the starting gig. And, uh, obviously he started week one and really never looked back, uh, from that point. And then from 2010, you got to go all the way to 2021, as I previously mentioned there with, uh, with, uh, Kendrick Green and Dan Moore Jr. So, uh, obviously, uh, Kendrick Green and, and Dan Moore Jr. is still under contract, uh, with the Steelers. Uh, big question about, you know, what's going to happen with Kendrick Green, uh, this offseason here. But Dan Moore Jr. is obviously the other guy that Broderick Jones, 
you know, appears to be battling uh, for a starting spot there. So, you know, history, you know, uh, it, it would be even though, you know, we had the recent occurrences here with Kendrick Green and Dan Moore Jr., you know, overall history's not on Broderick Jones uh, side when it comes to being a week one starter. But you know, obviously this is a new year and and history is, a, a, you know, indeed that history. Right. Sure. It's so. If Jones becomes the week one starter, he'll only be the third tackle to do so with Smith, Moore, and then himself? You would be correct. And he would mm. be just the second left tackle if if indeed that's 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 what it is. Or no, he would be the first left. No, this no more was yeah, yeah I no, think Smith no, no, was no. at right tackle. Yeah, yeah. Second left tackle. Uh right. Dan Dan Moore was the first. Okay, so interesting, you know, nugget there. I think obviously the way that rookies have been introduced to the NFL has shifted for both Pittsburgh and league wide over the last five to 10 years. And so they're playing quicker and more immediately as you are getting with green and more and just the other, you know, rookie draft picks. And so, you know, I think the history has certainly changed when you compare it to the 80s and 90s. But Interesting tidbit there. I was I was wondering that myself a while back about the history of, you know, rookies starting, left tackle starting. I knew more, obviously, one of those names didn't know the rest of the list. Marvel Smith, man, what an underrated stealer. I'm, th- I'm thinking about doing like an underrated stealer series, and that's a guy that's, that's going to be on that list, even Steelers fans. I know he had the back injuries, but when he was healthy, he was a great left tackle. Man, and, and what would his career have been like had he not had those back back injuries? You sure. Know? Because uh, he ended up even playing nine seasons in 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 in, right. in, in Pittsburgh there, and now he did miss uh, you know even his rookie season. I think he wound up starting just nine uh, nine games that season because of of, of injuries. I can't remember if, if if it was a back right off the bat with him or not there. But uh, imagine if he had been you know uh, epitome of health for 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 you know those nine seasons. Right. I mean. Let, let, let me take you down a different rabbit hole. Who are some of the most? Well, we got we, it looks like uh, go, gophers out here on the course <laughs> yeah. today, doesn't it? We're we're digging a lot today, Dave. Who are some of the most underrated Steelers, even by the Steelers' own fan base? You know, everybody says Aaron Smith. He's not. He's underrated by the NFL media at large, but not by the Steelers fan base. Everybody knows how critical and good Aaron Smith was. If you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but even by those who wear the black and gold. Who are those underrated names? I think Smith is one of those guys that kind of gets forgotten about. But one of the, frankly, one of the best left tackles in Steelers history, the competition there is not particularly strong. I think John Kolb probably edges him him out, but I I think Smith is up there. Yeah, I I do think he's up there. And I know a lot of people aren't going to like this, but I think Alejandro Villanueva was incredibly underrated uh, Mm -hmm. uh, by the fan base. And uh, he's going to have that streak of consecutive uh, uh, game started at left tackle for the Steelers for quite some time. I mean, hopefully, a guy like Broderick Jones can can break it. But I mean, just a uh, law of averages aside, with with nicks and 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 injuries in the NFL, uh, it it makes the streak that Alejandro Villanueva put together with consecutive starts at left tackle. I mean, I. I, I don't I'm not sure I'm gonna live long enough to see that that broken there. And uh yes, Alejandro Villanueva had his problems. He had his kryptonite with certain dudes in the NFL, but I mean for what for for how he got to where he got and and for the stretch of games uh that he was able to do it for, I, I consider him extremely underrated. 
Okay. Anybody else that comes to mind? Any maybe less recent players? Some of the names on my list, Marvel Smith. I think even Kendall Simmons kind of gets forgotten yeah. about. Yeah, um, Kendall Simmons for, forgets uh, gets forgotten about. I think yeah. Matt Spate was incredibly okay. underrated uh, uh, for what he was uh, as a as a blocking tight end. I mean, there was a span of three or four years there where, quite honestly, uh, you know, he was probably one of the top two or three blocking tight ends in, in the NFL. I think, and even better than Heath Miller. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he was a house. He was built and and that was his role. So I'm with you on space. I think other names to come to mind for me, Deshae Townsend. I talked about him recently. It's him, Ham and Lambert in the, what is it? 20. I forget the stat that I had there. I think 20 interception, 15 sack club or something like that. It's a weird list of, of, of two Hall of Famers in Deshae Townsend. And then I'd go a little more old school here. Uh, Frank Lewis, the receiver in the 70s, and he's a guy that that probably got to Pittsburgh just a bit too early as the quarterback situation was still bumpy uh, as Bradshaw was drafted and kind of worked through his struggles the first couple of years where they rotated with him and Hanratty and Joe Gilliam. And then, you know, they draft Swan and Stallworth. Those guys kind of take over. But Lewis, man, had just incredible speed. He was a big play kind of guy. Once he went to, I think it was Buffalo, he had the best year of his career. So that's a guy that made a lot of plays in those early 70s. You forget about him because obviously the focus goes on Terry and Franco and Swan and Stallworth. Yeah. What about Tonchokin too? You know, sure. uh, you know, I, everybody obviously knows that name and all, but you want to talk about a guy that was, you know, ver- you want to talk about position flexibility and versatility on an offensive line uh, back when he played, you know, he, he, he moved up and down the offensive line uh, obviously wasn't, how many, did did Tunch ever make a Pro Bowl or anything like that? I don't. I can check. Did. I don't believe so. Probably should have a couple of those years. Yeah. But uh, let me check. Oh, no, he did. Two-time Pro Bowler. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, well, it's good to see him re- recognized for that because he certainly was versatile uh, playing up and down uh, uh, that offensive line. For, you know, for the for the Steelers. Yeah, and you talk about just the best tackles at large, left or right. He's up there again. Franchise history. There aren't. It's not like a guard and center where you have a lot stronger names throughout the Steelers' history. A tackle. Some of the best tackles are again Marvel Smith, John Cole, Ton Shilkin. Those are some of the top guys. I mean, when you talk about, I'm um, look. I got his PFR page pulled up now. Uh, Tunch played what 176 games for the Steelers. Started mm. started uh, 143 of them. I mean, you'd be, uh, you know, hard pressed to find, you know, how, how many Steelers have played over 175 games in their career? It's a relatively short list and not bad for a six round pick from Indiana State. And I remember in his book that whenever Chuck Knoll called him and said they were drafting him or whenever Knoll first talked to him, uh, his mission was to try to become a long snapper because they had Mike Webster doing snaps. And they wanted to take Webby off uh, running down, you know, punts. And that was Ilkin's kind of path to try to making of the team and obviously became so much more than that. All right. We went uh, way off the pre-production meeting uh, <laughs> uh, this morning, didn't we? We did. All right, Dave, let's get us back on track here. You know, everybody pays attention when Vince Williams tweets. He doesn't tweet too often. But whenever he says something, I think Steeler fans and you and I take notice. And he made a comment because the Pittsburgh Maulers played in the USFL title game this weekend. Lost it, unfortunately, to Birmingham. But Reuben Foster, the former first round pick who's getting back into professional football with the Maulers this year, 
had a good game, had a good season, and Vince Williams tweeting that he thinks Pittsburgh will end up signing him, going to the other Pittsburgh team, the Maulers, to the Steelers. And so I know you wrote about that and kind of gave your thoughts. Um, I had a terrible take yesterday with my thoughts on Reuben Foster in the NFL, in Pittsburgh with the Steelers. Kind of give me your 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 lowdown there. I mean, I think it's definitely plausible uh, for for obvious reasons. I think it's easy to connect the dots. I mean, uh, draft pedigree. Uh, you know, the Steelers have never been shy about developmental league uh, guys, and uh, obviously, you know, he checks a lot of boxes when it comes to to things that the Steelers kind of look for when 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 getting these guys out of the developmental league and you know being you know uh, obviously playing for the Maulers and 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 Ray Horton uh you know there it's going to be easy to kind of uh kind of envision that kind of stuff happen i just and i i watched a handful of Maulers games obviously this 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 past season bits and pieces more need, more so than kind of complete games there uh i just kind of wonder if he's more of what they already have right now you know more of the downhill guy as opposed to now he can uh turn and run a little bit uh in 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 coverage but even so uh, i don't view him as kind of a premier uh coverage uh mac you know, kind, kind of linebacker. Uh, now, uh, is he better than kind of some of the bottom end of the uh, 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 depth chart that they have uh, at, at that position right now? And boy, you want to talk about a room that's been turned over. In Chappelle, Russell at the bottom of that kind of depth chart, if you will. So if you wanted to do a, a one-for-one replacement, I would think a, a, a guy, guy like uh, uh, Russell would be out the door uh, to sign him. Uh, it wouldn't, obviously it wouldn't be for anything more than, than the minimum. And, you know, he would be, he, he would be coming in kind of behind the eight ball, having already missed, you know, mandatory minicamp and the OTAs and all like that. But I mean, if you're looking if you're looking for another body that's got NFL experience and has some pedigree to them, I mean, it, it's plausible. I'll leave it at that. I don't think it's going to happen, but but within that, I wouldn't be shocked. I'll leave my words here if I'm wrong. I just don't think it's going to happen. Now, I think Foster has a shot to get into a camp to get back into the NFL based off the season that he had. But I think for Pittsburgh, A, they've added already so many veteran inside linebackers. You had another, really, what's his purpose? What's his role? You've really, as you said, turned over that room already. And then B, I think more importantly, you still have some of those character off-field concerns. This is a guy that got kicked out of the combine, failed the drug test there. He's been arrested. He's been suspended. He's had some injuries, too, including a terrible knee injury in, forget what year that was, 2019. I want to say now it seems like he's recovered from that, but he's going to be, you know, 30 here, I think, uh, maybe next year, but he's, he's 29 right now with, uh, you know, a fairly lengthy injury history and the character stuff. And Pittsburgh just doesn't sign guys with the character concerns. I mean, recently in the last couple of years, or even, you know, under Omar Khan, every guy they've touched, you know, for agency, trade, draft, they're all squeaky clean with their backgrounds. And I just don't think that's going to be the guy that Pittsburgh's going to go after. And even if they did, you know, you're talking about a bottom of the depth chart kind of guy battling for a spot. He'd obviously have to excel on special teams, right? Right. And how much of that's in his resume? 
I doubt much. I can try to check. Obviously, I don't think he was doing it a lot at Alabama and probably not early in the NFL. But I mean, his NFL resume is pretty light to begin with. Uh, he plays. He's played 20 career snaps on special teams. Right. In the so, NFL. I mean, that, that that's going to be the primary way he'd have to make the roster, at least initially, you know. Sure. I just, again, for all those reasons and, and primarily the character, the background, I mean, what, what guy did Pittsburgh add this offseason in Omar Khan's first full offseason that had any hint of any whiff of a character or off-field concern? I can't think of one. Yeah, good point. So I just don't. I think Foster may go somewhere. I think, I think to your point, because these guys have missed OTAs and minicamp and they're you know coming in late for training camp, that puts them all behind the eight ball. I think that makes the XFL guys more attractive because you can get them for your spring workouts as opposed to the USFL season that ends, you know, much later, right around this time. But some of those guys will will float into the NFL. Yeah, look, I, I think we both agree. He's probably going to end up on a training camp roster. We just don't think, uh, I, I don't like the chances of it being the Steelers. Yeah, I'm with you. So I'm going disagree to disagree with Vince Williams and say, I don't think that prediction is going to come true. All right. All right, Dave, one last thing to note here before we get into your 90 and 30 series. I've been trying to brainstorm some articles to write. And when I do that, I, I said on a recent podcast, I go to Pro Football Reference. I stare at the page for a little bit. I also <laughs> I also stare at the Steelers front office page and, and A, cross my fingers for changes that they put up a name that no one's seen yet. But that has not uh, happened so far. But had an idea yesterday. I wanted to examine, you know, how much has Omar Khan grown the scouting staff since taking over? and Pretty significantly uh, under Kevin Colbert, whenever he left, there were 15 guys in the scouting department. Now there's 21. That's a 40 percent increase. And so you've seen, I think, a bit more of a delegation and specification in terms of some of these roles. And I don't know. I should have counted if there were more area scouts. Now, I didn't actually do that. But overall, the scouting staff has gotten larger. Now, I think it's on the Steelers site, it shows only 19, but you, if you add in Ike Taylor and Merrill Hodge, you kind of are in assistant scouting roles, a bit more position specific, it seems, than I get to 21 that way. So uh, I think that's probably one subtle but notable change that Omar Khan has made. All right. What's your, what's your main takeaway from that? Um, nothing as, as, inherently as how, good or bad. Okay. I, I mean, yeah, I don't want to sit there and say that, you know, you have to have the largest scouting staff in the world. It kind of goes back to the head coach discussion. It's more about the people and the quality of their work. And there are benefits to having a smaller and tighter, you know, scouting group of people. But I think when it comes to scouting, it's just, there's so much work to be done when you're sifting through literally thousands of prospects and trying to whittle them down to the the, the seven guys that you're going to draft, the more people that you can have to help with the delegation and being able to kind of, you know, find tooth uh or with a fine tooth comb go through some of these names i think it's really important to have just because of the monumental task that scouting is and how constant and 24 7 um that it that it presents so i think generally speaking having a larger scouting staff as long as they're quality people of course is, is probably for the best has uh, of any is there any other new additions that kind of have you intrigued um in terms of the ones they've hired this year when you yeah. say new additions 
I mean, well, it was a lot of area scouts that were kind of just filling some of the gaps in terms of, you know, with Mark Gorsick leaving the team and they never replaced Rick Reprecious, really Southeast region. I mean, obviously, you know, a guy like Zach Crockett, you know, just because he has that football background is is an interesting name. And you know, I think Jim Ward's a guy that's from Philadelphia. So there's a lot of ties there to uh, to Weidel. And um, now he's in Pittsburgh. But, you know, just interesting to see this team kind of fill out the area scouts all right all right dave we can go over to your 90 and 30 series we left off with i think it was what mason cole dylan cook and james daniels so we can move on to duke dawson kevin dawson and my favorite name on the roster william bill dunkel <laughs> that's my favorite name <laughs> all right uh duke dawson uh a guy that uh kind of Back in the news based on some things I think uh, 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 what Terrell Austin maybe had said a couple of weeks ago, mandatory mini camp and all a uh, guy that's not really a stranger uh, to 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 the NFL was what a second round draft pick in 2018 of the Patriots uh, has played what 26 regular season games 400. Feels like it felt like he had played more snaps than that, but just 414 defensive snaps uh, overall. He figures to get a fair shot at competing for a 53 man roster spot, probably more so uh, as, as a slot cornerback. Uh, once again, he was one of those names along with uh, 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 Chandon Sullivan that, that that Austin highlighted there. So uh, going to be interesting to see if maybe he can. Uh, I, I guess the proper verb or adjective would be Mike Hilton, this thing. Yeah, he's kind of got that backstory. Well, in the sense of practice squad and trying to move up, you know, he's got pedigree. He was a former second round pick of the Patriots, never played a down for them, got traded to Denver, and his last NFL snap came in 2020. But you're right. I think Terrell Austin mentioned him. Omar Khan mentioned him early in the offseason about potential slot candidates, and it's wide open there right now. So, you know, do I think Duke Dawson's going to be the guy? Probably not. But if they if they want to break this thing up into a rundown slot corner and a pass down slot corner the way that they did the last two years with Arthur Millette being the rundown guy and Cam Sutton being the pass down guy, you know, Dawson could be that Millette because he's pretty feisty. He's pretty aggressive and kind of has that Mike Hilton type of feel. So, you know, he's not played football in a, in a game that counts in quite some time, but somebody to watch and somebody that could be a sleeper. Yeah, look, he's logged a few special team snaps along the way. He's kind of put together nicely, I think, overall for a guy his size. Uh, and what was the other note that I had on him? Uh, yeah, just, you know, just uh, limited spent, what, 182, 182 more uh, special teams uh, snaps so far in his career. And just going to be an interesting guy to and look he's been he's been in the organization uh since what october of last year as a member of the practice squad so this isn't new to him uh they obviously like like him enough uh to keep him around uh from the middle of last year on there so going to be a guy interesting to watch do battle this this summer in training camp and I'll just say this final point. I think it's always good for these guys once they have a full off season with the team. They're going through the process from start to finish where you're not coming in in October, your practice squad, you're just trying to catch that moving train where you're coming in fresh. You're there through the winter workouts in the weight room. Then you're going through, you know, your voluntary mini camp, your 
you know, mandatory mini camp um, and then going through training camp from from the start. So for all of those guys that are new to Pittsburgh to have that full offseason, I think really pays off in a pretty big way. All right. Uh, next on the list, uh, Kevin Dotson. And what's you know what's left to be said about Kevin Dotson at this point? Uh, uh, he's slated to earn $2.743 million this coming season due to the proven performance escalator uh, process and all. He's a guy that that now appears to have lost uh, his, you know, the Steelers have heavily addressed this offensive line uh, during the offseason, specifically, you know, at, at, at the guard uh, position overall. Uh, Dotson... You know, the, the way he kind of worded some things so far this offseason, it, it feels like he's uh, very resigned to the fact that not only has he lost his spot, that he, you know, there's a potential that he might be elsewhere come week one of the season. I, and uh, uh, at, at this point of the offseason, the way injuries could happen, it's probably not wise to trade him. Uh, right now, unless somebody just blew your mind with some sort of offer, and I can't see that happening uh, right now. But the closer that you get to week one, and and you know if the you know if if, if the bulk of this offensive line, uh, specifically at the guard position, stays healthy, it makes you kind of wonder, uh, you know, would he wind up being traded? Now, if he's not traded, you got to like his chances of sticking on the fifty-three. I think. You know, uh, but uh, I, I think the biggest question with him is if he's not on the Steelers 53 man roster, will that be a result of him being traded to another team? Yeah, if I, I mean, he's going to be Pittsburgh's prime trade candidate this summer. And the second that any other NFL team has an offensive line injury, and that's going to happen in short order, I imagine. You're going to get the conversation that you and I have or someone's writing about, you know, should Kevin Dotson go to the whatever the Lions because they just lost whoever, you know, that kind of thing. So, as you said, you're going to hold on to Dotson for a while. Make sure your own offensive line stays healthy. You don't want to trade him in, you know, before camp starts and you lose three linemen in that first two weeks and you kind of regret that trade. So you you, you want to go through, evaluate your guys, make sure you're comfortable with what, with what you have and then. You can deal Dotson close to that cut down uh, deadline. But yeah, if he's not traded, does he stay? Guess what would his role be at that point if he if he stays or if he's not traded? Yeah, probably a swing guard, right? Oh, isn't uh, it Nate Herbig, the swing guard? Yeah, uh, you know, but you got to have inactives, right? I mean, it, sure. I, I guess it comes down to to how many offensive linemen are they going to keep on this 53 man roster, eight, nine or ten? <laughs> Uh, and then in terms of, yeah, the actives, I mean, you're going to address probably seven, right? So you have your starting five. Herbig is going to be six. And then probably somebody. Don't you have to dress Don't you have to dress eight, eight to t- take advantage of yeah. the, uh, the ex- extra expanded spot. roster? Yeah. Okay. So let, let, let's say it's eight then. Okay. You're starting five, a backup tackle. Let's call it just Dan Moore for simplicity's sake right now. Backup guard, Nate Herbig. And then you probably want somebody that can play some better center for you right so there's your eight right and Dotson as far as we know still doesn't have any center experience you know so. yeah nothing in game so and if you I mean you could make him inactive it's pretty expensive but you know he could be just super quality depth for you he won't be happy about it but you'll have to get over it and and 2.743 million is pretty expensive to be a regular game day inactive Right. So I think obviously you're going to look for a trade possibility. What do you think his worth is if you had to guess? And 
it's a little harder to say because if a team's a bit more desperate because they just lost an offensive lineman, they may be willing to pay a bit more. But fifth or six, fifth yeah. or six, fifth at most, uh, I, I, I would think, and uh, more than likely, maybe a sixth. That's true. I probably six. I think I tend to, we all tend to overvalue our own players a little bit. So six rounder sounds about right. You know, one of the most concerning things on him so far, especially last year was the penalty count on him, a team high 12 penalties, you know? Yeah, it was, there were some, some drive killers for sure. And it wasn't all on him, but and, and I know some of those were the ineligible man downfield. And some of those to me were a little ticky tack. Some of them I thought were more egregious on Dotson's end. Again, I, I said this midseason, he's the most frustrating player to watch on this roster, not because he's a bad player. If he was bad, you wouldn't be frustrated by that. You just would accept that he's not good enough. He's shown talent. He's shown flashes. There's been moments in time you sit there and say, this is an NFL starting caliber type of guard, but I think he's so inconsistent. I think above the neck, there are so many issues. Even in terms of just trying to follow some of Pat Meyer's rules, I think they kind of simplified some things and didn't ask him to help the tackles as much as I think Meyer's system is designed to do. And there were just some really ugly moments, especially in pass pro last year for him. All right, uh, William Dunkel, next one on the list here. I think one of the, the, the things that sticks out the most about William Dunkel is uh, he was you know practice squad player last year, and he managed to stay on the Steelers practice squad throughout the 2022 season. And in today's NFL, I, that, that's a pretty big accomplishment, I think, uh, overall. So there's something there uh, uh, that they like about him. Uh, even so, he failed, to, obviously, to make the 53-man roster at any point. Uh, now, primarily because, you know, knock, knock on wood, Steelers offensive line stayed healthy. Uh, as a whole last off season there uh, of the 43 preseason snaps that Dunkel played as a rookie in 2022, all of them came at right guard, which was his primary position in college. Uh, when you look at his 53 man roster chances uh, uh, this summer, they're not great, right? You know, a lot, I th- it really feels like a lot would have to happen for Dunkel to make the 53 man roster. Uh, it will be interesting. I think to see, uh, assuming he sticks on the roster come preseason game time is does he get snaps at only right guard or does he, you know, does he mix in some left guard in there to kind of show uh, some of that position uh, flexibility. But I think when you boil all this down, when it comes to William Dunkel, his best shot at staying in Pittsburgh past past, you know, the preseason would be as a practice squad player again. Right. I'm with you. He was part of that training camp shuffle that Pittsburgh did midway through camp last year where they got rid of a lot of their third string offense linemen and brought guys in like Bill Dunkel, like Ryan McCollum. And to see those guys stick, as you said, says something about their practice habits and work ethic and attention to detail and those types of things. So I can't even remember a takeaway from Dunkel's preseason action last year in Pittsburgh. It was so limited, but We'll get eyes on him in camp again. Another one of those guys that's coming in, having the full offseason experience will make him better to start the summer, hopefully on a strong note. All right. Uh, next on the list, Braden Fajoko, uh, who the Steelers uh, uh, added this past offseason on a one-year contract, uh, former member of the Chargers. Uh, this guy, <laughs> the deeper you get into uh, his bio and and character and just everything that comes with him. I mean, he's, uh, I, 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 
I don't want to say, you know, cause he doesn't have the pedigree, but you, you kind of get the Tyson Alualu vibes a little bit, uh, uh, with him just or a super likable guy when, you know, when you, when you dig deeper into his bio, uh, with him, uh, this is a guy that's, that that's obviously best suited to play between the B gaps, uh, more specifically a one or a zero technique there, uh, you obviously saw this team go out and get uh, Keanu Benton in the draft here. I think the big thing here is now is can he win a roster spot uh, to either open the season uh, as the starting nose tackle or at least be the uh, a backup dress player on, on that defensive line? It's funny you mentioned Tyson Alualu. I think there was an article on Steelers.com. There's some connection there between Alualu and Boko, I think. Aluwalu had played against his brothers and he reached out to Fahoko whenever he signed. And so there's some some cool connections there. Those, um, you know, Hawaii Hawaii uh, born and, and based guys. Um, yeah, I think Fahoko, he's your classic interior plugger. He's a three, four, you know, zero tech shade. And that's really all he is. He's not going to play up and down the line, but he can stuff the run. And that's kind of his job. That's his M.O. He's a very old school type of guy that ideally is a backup. I don't think he's going to give you enough there to, to give you uh, the starting snaps. And hopefully Keanu Benton can, can be this team starting no tackle, but there's a chance there for him to, to be that guy as a backup. Yeah. Look, his first and foremost job uh, uh, or goal should be to, to, to make Montrevious Adams expendable. Right. Yeah. I think if you can save a bit of money by cutting Adams and having Fahoko be that backup no tackle, you add in Armand Watts, who's got a background there. Those are going to be your guys, right? I mean, but but you know, overall, once again, I think he's a fun guy to learn about uh, uh, so far this off season, and it will be Definitely. interesting to actually see him in the Steelers uniform once camp and the preseason gets underway. All right, uh, next on the list, wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick, after being selected in the fourth round uh, by the Titans out of Louisville. You know, he had a very cons- if you go back and look at statistically and some of his tape, had a very consistent college career uh, at, at, at Louisville, but nothing over the top. Uh, uh, cause he had what in total, uh, let's see, I don't have his, I don't think I have his total, uh, stats in front of me here, but, uh, he's logged just 104, 104 offensive snaps since being drafted and nine more on special teams. Uh, that's a deterrent to, uh, right off the bat there, you know, because, uh, he had just five total receptions for 49 yards on eight targets in 2021. Most of his two NFL seasons has been spent on the practice squad of the Titans. Uh, the, the Steelers signed him to reserve future contract back in J- uh, January there. Uh, mid-round draft pedigree. Uh, I think at this point it was a, kind of apparent that he was maybe overdrafted initially. Uh, with him not having much in the way of special teams on his resume uh, to this point, that's going to, to me, kind of hurt you know his cause uh, there, especially when you look at the bottom end of the wide receiver uh, depth chart. So it, it, it really feels like when, a, you know, probably a guy that probably going to make a, 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 a play or two during training camp in the preseason there, but you know, push come to shove here. It really feels like he's battling for a practice squad uh, spot uh, this summer. He is the receiver room is just too crowded. Again, I think the top five are basically locked in and the number six is going to be either nobody or Hakeem Butler, or maybe with a smaller chance, uh, a Gunnar Olszewski stays around for his return value. So yeah, Fitzpatrick has some signs. He does have some NFL experience and that's going to help him this summer. But 
it is practice squad at best. All right, another Fitzpatrick guy. Perhaps you've heard of him, Minka <laughs> Fitzpatrick. I watched a little bit of tape on this guy. He's pretty good, Alex. Uh, uh, first team All Pro uh, and, and and Pro Bowl selection again uh, last season. Uh, I mean, there's there's not a lot to talk about when when it when it comes to Minka. I think the only thing is when you look at his outlook for 2023. Uh, you once again are expecting another All Pro uh, Pro Bowl season. Uh, I'd like to see him, uh, you know, hit four more interceptions in 2023. Uh, I'd like to see him uh, roam around even more and 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 rotate even more into some of that robber uh, type situation there. Uh, the best Minka Fitzpatrick becomes, it's not like he's not a good player when he's tied to the post only as a free safety, but Minka Fitzpatrick becomes even a better player when you don't know where, where he is on the field. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Pittsburgh is able to rotate and spin him with some of these new pieces. Again, I think that's where the value that Cam Sutton really brought last year because he was so versatile. He could play, he could line up literally everywhere, whether he was rotating into the deep half, r- rotating into the post, you know, cover two, middle hole guy carrying the seam. I mean, he he did it all. And that really allowed because like Minka is flexible, but for him to be flexible, somebody else has to be just as flexible to make both guys work. You can't just have one guy be flexible, the other guy be static and and think it's going to work. So there's some concern there, but there's no concern about Minka Fitzpatrick, the player himself, his professionalism, his tape study, his work ethic. And again, I think while we focus on, on the gaudy highlights of the interceptions, the big plays, the clutch moments, which Minka certainly excels at, his tackling, he's among the best tackling safeties in football. His open field ability is is really strong in terms of his technique, his strength, coming to balance, shooting, and and being able to finish. And so I think this get what gets lost in all those big plays is that consistent, steady Eddie, make the tackle, don't allow that good run become, to become a great run. Um, he's really good in the alley as a tackler. Within all that, though, both of us agree we don't want to see Minka Fitzpatrick have to tally 100 tackles again, right? <laughs> yeah, like two years ago, yeah. And his numbers came down last year, both total tackles. And uh, I think I did the study recently on tackles of 20-plus yards. He led the NFL two years ago. Last year, he was more, I think, 10th or 11th, which felt you know more in range of where he should be, hopefully even a little bit lower than that come 2023. But But certainly, you don't want to see him make a ton of them but he's capable of doing it. And that's always, you know, so valuable to have that last line of defense. All right. Next on the list in the 90 and 30, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, uh, and, and there's really not a lot to discuss about here. You know, one of the things we talked about Pat Fryermuth a year ago, we wanted to see that average yards per, per reception go up. That happened. Uh, that was good to see. Uh, I don't know. As far as the blocking goes overall, I think, you know, this being what his third season, maybe there's a little ceiling left in him when it comes to that. I'm not expecting a huge jump when it comes to Pat Firemuth and his in-line blocking. He's great out in space and has been since day one. Uh, just would like to see him improve a little bit as an, as an in-line blocker. I mean, this is a guy now that uh, two seasons in a row, 60-plus uh, receptions, joining only Keith Jackson as the only tight end two tight ends in NFL history uh, to record 60 plus receptions in each of their first two seasons. Uh, expect him to have another 60 plus receptions in, 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 in 2023. 
2023 and, you know, hopefully more than 700 yards and, and hopefully more than two touchdowns. I'd like to see him get back in that six, seven, eight, nine uh, touchdown range. Uh, definitely uh, has the ability uh, to do that specifically in this offense. Uh, he managed to log 743 offensive snap snaps last season. That feels about right for, uh, for, for 2023, right? I mean, uh, maybe, maybe 800 total offensive snaps, uh, has had another interesting fact with him or, or maybe a minor concern is, is, you know, he's had a couple of concussions so far. Uh, hopefully he has none of those moving forward into 2023 and he attended tight end university this off season. So it'll be interesting to see if, if, if things that maybe he picked up, uh, as, as part of that off season process, uh, manifest themselves into his play on, on the field. And I know he's been dealing with some sort of injury that hopefully is not going to limit him much, if at all, for training camp. So that's one thing to watch. Hopefully he's not a surprise pup guy to start the year. That's going to be for, you know, not that it's a long-term concern, but just, you know, out for a week, something like that. He has a blocker, as you mentioned. I think he basically is what he is. Yeah, there could be a little bit more meat left on that bone. I don't think he likes blocking that much. I think he's excited about Darnell Washington as much as anybody because he feels like he can now run more routes. I don't have to uh, to block as much. Which I don't know if that's really 100% true, but that's kind of what he's talked about. Can he get the 60 receptions again? Because he's been really close. He was at what? He's been at 60 and 63 his first two seasons. If that slot role grows more this year with Robinson and Austin, you think that it will. And this team obviously going to run the ball hopefully a lot. Do you think he'll do it? I think 60s within when within his reach. Yeah, it's within his reach for sure. But he might be at like 57 because he's been really close and he's had the concussions, like you said, missed some time. I think it's going to be a race to the finish. OK, I mean, I, I, I agree it's going to be close. I expect him to hit at least 60. OK, yeah, I hope so. But yeah, as a security blanket, his understanding of leverage, I think he was quicker upfield post catch last year. I think he was better than where he was as a rookie. Pittsburgh smartly used him more vertically down the field. He's good in scramble drills, which, you know, Kenny Pickett, remember that throw against Baltimore in that game winning drive, you know, getting open and firing a perfect pass to Frymouth. The hands are are off the charts. Um, so, yeah, should be another solid season from Pat Frymuth. All right. One guy that won't have 60 receptions in, <laughs> in, in 2023, another tight end, Zach Gentry, uh, a lot of cut, you know, especially on the heels of, of, of Darnell Washington being drafted and all like that. It's going to be interesting to watch, uh, how the impact of Washington and his arrival in Pittsburgh and how it impacts a guy like Zach Gentry. And, uh, you know, you talk about, uh, 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 you know, we earlier in the show, we talked about guys like uh, Matt Spath, who was a huge tight end overall, who was a very good run blocker. Uh, Zach Gentry has not developed into the kind of run blocker uh, that I think the Steelers hoped would be the case. Uh, in fact, I kind of in view, I, I kind of view uh, him kind of taking a minor step backwards in 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 that phase of his game uh, last season here, and uh, not a guy that's going to obviously catch a lot of passes for you. And you know, assuming the Steelers want to play this bully ball that we think that they're going to want to play, and obviously having having Darnell Washington uh, now in that tight end room. What's going to be the impact as far as, you know, especially if they use two tight end groupings, uh, 
how much will Darnell start eating into that? How soon? And, 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 you know, what will the overall impact be on, on, on Gentry? And could there be games where Zach Gentry doesn't get a helmet, you know, uh, because of this, because you know, make no mistake about it. Uh, Gentry's not a special teams demon on top of it either. So you don't lose anything. I don't think overall, uh, by not having him dressed for games, should you go that route? Sure. I think the impact that Washington has on Gentry is significant, where, A, there's no guarantee Gentry makes this team. I mean, you can argue that. And oh, probably- I, see, I I caught hell for that back earlier. Did you in really? Offseason, yeah. Uh, Even after, after they drafted Washington? Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, I, I know specifically before they drafted Washington, but I, I okay. kind of had inferred that, you know, it because remember all the talk we had about the Michigan tight end and, Mm-hmm. And because, you know, obviously not a lot of people like the, the, the Steelers chances of, of getting Washington specifically with it, where they got him and all. But, you know, the moment that he resigned, I kind of wondered if 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 Gentry's roster spot wasn't guaranteed. Because right, that contract is the minimum. It's, right? Yeah, it's, it's cheap. Yeah, yeah. It, it is cheap. There's not a lot of guaranteed money tied to it. So here we are in, in, in the early part of July. And I mean. We both agree, right? That I mean, should should, uh, should people be writing Zach Gentry's name in pen when it comes to a fifty-three man roster? No, they shouldn't. Now, I think I like got, his chances, but still, yeah, I think they're better than fifty percent. If you carry four total tight ends, fullbacks, you know, Hayward effectively effectively replaces Derek Watt in that slot. I don't think he's going to be a, an every down kind of fullback, but he can kind of replace what Derek Watt was doing. Then you have your three kind of true tight ends in Frymouth, Washington Gentry. That that's his path to make it, but it's not guaranteed. And certainly in terms of a playing time, getting a helmet standpoint, Gentry may be inactive for large portions of the season. I think Washington's gonna play out of the gate, barring him looking miserable this summer. And as you said, Gentry really offers nothing on special teams outside of a wing on the field goal protect team. That's about it. Washington can do that. So yeah, it's going to be a big step back for Zach Gentry in 2023. If he makes the team. Right. And one of the things I'm looking for when it comes to him this summer from you on the training camp reports and the pre man block his ass off, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like two years ago where he was up against it, trying to fight Kevin Rader for a practice or for uh, that, that final tight end spot. And he had a good summer and he got a lot better as a run blocker and he made the team and, 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 you know, played heavy snaps because of it, but they brought in a bigger, better, well, I shouldn't say bigger, but a better version of Zach Gentry and Darnell Washington, a guy that hopefully can be a really good blocker and, and offer a lot more in the pass game. All right. True or false. If Gentry makes the 53 man roster, he will be inactive for at least four games in 2023. True. I think easily true on that one. Okay. I I'm with you. I'm true on that as well, too. Uh, and once again, I don't think he is. I don't think you write his name in pen right now. All right. Uh, Marcus golden boy. Uh, uh, nice to have a veteran uh, outside linebacker uh, on this roster right now. And I think uh, when you kind of draw them up, uh, 
as far as what the Steelers are willing to spend for and, and experience. I, I think Marcus Golden uh, is a wise choice here, and I think it plays right into his wheelhouse to be uh, that kind of rotational guy to come in and, 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 and spell Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt there. Uh, you obviously don't have any special teams aspect uh, related to him, especially at his age, but for a guy his age to try to extend his career, uh, a guy that, that, that I think can, can be comfortable in that role as opposed to what, you know, the team went through with Melvin Ingram a couple of seasons ago there. Uh, this, this really feels like a solid fit has the connections to Denzel Martin, uh, obviously. So, you know, guy that, you know, we both expect to make the 53 man roster and, and serve as that, uh, next guy in behind, uh, Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt. Yeah, I think it's a really good fit overall. Uh, the experience, the well-roundedness of his game in terms of run defense, pass rush numbers a bit down last year, but you know, sacks can be a little bit fickle. The motor runs hot. He can play both sides. It's a really you know solid scheme fit overall. As long as he just accepts his role, which will be as reduced as it has been in any seasons he's he's played in since early in his career. As long as he's okay with that and knows his role and knows his purpose and doesn't want to, you know, get out the way that Melvin Ingram did, then things should be good. But it's it's a really good rotational player and, and solid protection against an injury, which unfortunately has been happening the last couple of years with these starting outside linebackers. Look, when he's on the field, we want to see that run game defense of his stay where it's been the last, what it looks like on tape last couple seasons there. And as far as pass production goes, sometimes you're going to get those sacks. Sometimes you're not. I think overall the, the, uh, the pressures haven't been bad for him. Uh, and you know, want to see him, you know, just stay healthy and, and kind of productive in, in, in all areas. Now at some point he's going to drop off, but uh, also within that, you know, I think if you kind of, uh, keep him, keep him, you know, you're not going to ask him hopefully to go out there and play seven, 800 snaps, you know, in a season. So if you can keep him on kind of a fairly predictive routine, as far as rotational usage, I, I think he should be fine. Do- double digit sacks aren't out of the question or not double digit, uh, yeah, uh, uh, double digit sacks are out of the question, but I think half a dozen, uh, sacks for him in 2023 aren't out of the question. Yeah, I mean, you figure somebody's going to get hurt or nicked up. There's going to be times where hopefully he's playing, you know, a lot more snaps over, you know, a couple weeks span. So I don't have a specific number. I think six sacks, not out of the question. You're right, but probably on the optimistic side of things. But a three and a half sack season with quality pressure, good run defense. I'm good with that. All right. Next up, Alfonso Graham. Uh was not one of these Steelers' initial uh, undrafted free agents, but joined not too too long after uh, after the uh, after the rookie minicamp, and he got a contract after that. Uh, Morgan State product. Uh, the biggest thing when it comes to a guy like him uh, that 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 really sticks out is his size factor: five foot eight, seven eighths, one hundred eighty five pounds. Uh, put up some nice numbers, obviously at Morgan State in in, in a couple seasons there. But man, when you're talking about third running backs on this roster, you can't talk about them without you know them them maybe being able to contribute on special teams, and it just does not feel like that's going to be his forte uh, when it comes to that. So I think realistically, when you look at Graham, uh, he'd be doing well to snag a week one spot on the Steelers practice squad. I might have a different take. I think he's a sleeper to be that number three guy. Now, the size is atypical for what Pittsburgh generally likes. They want the bigger, 
you know, sturdier type of back, you know, Benny Snell, that number three runner last year. But Graham has a special teams background. When I talked to him, he plays played gunner. I mean, he, he he's a guy that could just run down kicks and punts before. And so he's a smaller type to do. But I think he has the, the one, two, the buy in the right attitude to go out there and do that. He can make plays in the pass game. He's obviously a, a pretty explosive runner, um, has to show he can run between the tackles, not be like, you know, Mateo Durant last year, got all the buzz for his speed and loses out because there was no power. And Warren was that power guy that could anchor and pass protection and, and also play on special teams. But I think Graham um, is a hard worker, you know, earning that contract as a tryout guy says a lot about what Pittsburgh thought of him and not that he's, guaranteed anything it's a real wide open battle for that third running back position but graham has a shot he's gonna have to special teams his five foot 985 (laughs) pound butt off yeah but i mean who's his competition right now mcfarland who has not done it cannot do it and the guy we'll talk about here in a second and, and darius hagans who has a shot too but these are rookies just like graham I, I I think he'll be doing well to snag my, my view on after watching him is, is he'll be doing well to snag a week one uh, practice squad spot. Uh, Kendrick Green next up on the list. Boy, uh, have we had some conversations about this kid here? And, uh, you know, we talked about what what the Steelers backup center situation looks like, you know, of all the guys that they have uh, on on the 90 man roster right now. Uh not counting Mason Cole, he is the most experienced NFL center <laughs> that mm. they have as far as snaps uh, in the NFL go at the center position. Yeah, James Daniels has had some and all like that. But uh, uh, to me, it feels like it's backup center or bust for Kendrick Green this summer. I think you're right. Now, the question is, you know, What's the competition like? Who will get get who will beat him out? If it's not Kendrick Green, how can Kendrick Green improve? You know, just in terms Stay of his on punch. his feet first and yeah. more, foremost. I think he got, I did get better, and I think in camp last year with that. But but you want to continue that improvement, no doubt. But yeah, I think just having a that first significant contact that Pat Meyer teaches, being in control of these blocks, um, is is pretty. I think the center spot it has to do a lot under Meyer's system, even more than just snapping the football and line calls. But he's working one v one more than a lot of other systems where the guards give more help. The guards will help out the tackles more uh, under Pat Meyer. So it's it's going to ask more out of Kendrick Green, but we'll see. It's his last chance. Man, it's very alarming. He didn't even dress for a game in 2022. Yeah, now granted, the line was extremely healthy. I mean, had there been typical injuries, he probably would have dressed at some point. You know, you obviously J.C. Hassenhauer was the backup center uh, to Cole last season, and you know this team even chose to dress. You know, uh, uh, you know a more versatile uh, washout Jesse Davis over a guy like Green. yeah. Did did the Steelers make a mistake by not tendering J.C. Hassenauer and kind of putting them in, it's, in this It sort of feels position? like it right now. Maybe, maybe, maybe they thought he'd come crawling back for the minimal value, you right. know. Right. Uh, is J.C. Hassenauer a lock to make? Where is he? The Giants? Yes, uh, he's in New York, yeah. You know, could, could we potentially see J.C. circle back, you know, if he That's doesn't make, make, make the Giants on a, on, on a minimal contract? What is uh what does the Giants depth chart look like in terms of their backup offense line? Their tackles, I think, are pretty good. Oh yeah, they drafted John Michael Schmitz in the second round. He should be their starter. I'm not sure what the backup situation is looking like though. All right. So uh gonna be interesting. Uh yeah. 
I, I got my doubts that Ken, Kendrick Green's going to make the 53, and I've had sure. those doubts for a while. You and me both. All right. Uh, uh, Darius Hagens, running back uh, out of Virginia State, signed to the offseason 90-man roster in early June. Uh, follow him being waived by the Colts. Uh, uh, a big, a, you know, when when you compare him to a guy such as Alfonso Graham, uh, uh, he he looks more like that uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of third running back, or at least built for for a little bit more special teams action uh, there overall. Uh, he's he's going to have a shot, I think, and I I think that the question really becomes at that, that uh, running back depth chart is does this team add to that room with a more experienced guy moving forward in, 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 into the summer. If they don't, I think Hagen's uh, could be in play more so than a guy like Graham to snag that third spot. That's fair. I like both these uh, undrafted rookie running backs in Graham and Hagen's. I think that third running back spot, while it's not going to mean as much as say the left tackle battle it's going to be one of the most intense and fun competitions to watch this summer. And you're right. I thought Hagen's had good tape. Now it's lower competition, obviously, but he does have power. He's got speed. He has uh, special teams value and ability as well. And so he does have that look and that profile of a third running back in Pittsburgh, more so than Graham. I'm hundred percent with you there, but you know, let these guys compete and see what happens in camp. But I think Hagen's is a name to watch as well. Absolutely. All right, Dave, that is uh, the uh, 90 and 30 catch up. Uh, who's who's next? I think another another running back is going to be on that list soon. And Jason Huntley, we don't talk about him too much. Right. Um, who's who's up next as well? I uh, haven't even looked. I got to start writing that up this afternoon. And it looks like the next three names on the list will be. Where do we leave off? Hey, OK, Madre mm-hmm. Harper, mm. not, some guy named Najee Harris. And- right. Uh, Presley Harvin the third. Okay. All right. So we'll talk about that. Now this, when we come back on Friday, any other Steelers things that we're missing that you wanted to mention today, Dave? Uh, I think we've, uh, pretty much covered everything we wanted to get to, right? Right. Any reader emails to close out today's show? All right. Let's, uh, Deshaun Campbell. What's up guys. Happy 4th of July. I'm hoping you can help me understand the, the, the NFL new handoff rule. Seems to me if you hand the ball forward, it is deemed illegal, which means it gets rid of read options and jet sweeps. Correct. A rule change like this would affect, I don't know what he's talking about here. Do you know? Mm, I'm not sure if the NFL, uh, you can't like lateral the because that happened in the USFL, right? When that that defense lineman was running downfield and gave the ball forward, um, you can still run read options. I mean, those are those are just passes if the ball is flipped forward. I I think specifically the rule says now a forward handoff is illegal if it's to an ineligible player or beyond the line of scrimmage. Uh, the rule makes language more consistent with similar rules. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So, so, you know, obviously a running back is an eligible, uh, let me see if I can find, uh, yeah, whatever the rule is, I'm sure these plates are all still legal. I'm not entirely sure of the verbiage here, but a read options are typically backwards, not even forward and jet sweeps. You can, you can hand that ball off. Right. So I, 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 Deshaun, I think maybe you're, maybe you have a, a misunderstanding there because uh, you, you can obviously hand the ball off 
forward, you know, a, a quarterback reach out ahead of him and hand the ball off uh, to a running back or, 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 you know, to a wide receiver on, on, on a jet sweep. I, I think the key factor is it's got to be an eligible player. Yeah, heck, on a lot of these jet sweeps, I don't know if it happens as much in Pittsburgh, but they're actually kind of flipping it forward as these kind of little passes. And so what that does is it reduces, it eliminates the risk of a fumble because if you literally hand the ball off on a jet sweep, let's say the guy's coming in front of you and, and it falls to the ground, it's a fumble. If you pass it, if you kind of toss it it and it falls incomplete, the guy drops it it's an incompletion. And so there's kind of a work around there. So, but anyway, yeah, the rules are not going to eliminate any of those things. Uh, let's see. Ramon Garcia, Ramon here from Mexico. Consider this scenario. Steelers get a wild spot, wild card spot this year, win one playoff game and get blown out by Kansas city, uh, in the division around picket progresses. Fine. Let's say 25 TDs, 10 interceptions, top five defense ranked 15th ish over uh top five defense ranked 15th ish on offense would you consider this a successful season he says i think all of it's plausible what worries me a good enough picket a la Kirk cousins but not elite picket can get to uh can get us to winning a super bowl can he get us to winning a super bowl in the next three to five years what would you like to see team do in case the ceiling of Pickett is to be a second-tier quarterback level. Back in the days, defense won championships. It's harder and harder to do so now without a top-notch, uh, top-five franchise quarterback, which I struggle to see Pickett with. Boy, there's a lot to chew on there, uh, hmm. uh, Ramon there. Uh, I will just say this about the, the Steelers' 2023 season. I, you know, I think you're going to be able to smell it, touch it, taste it, uh, all, all aspects of it, not only statistically, but with your eyes and, and, and the tape, uh, for this team to make any noise, uh, in 2023, as Matt Canada would say, we got to score more points for starters. I'd like to see that go up, a you know, over 20, obviously, uh, you know, getting that 21, 22, uh, at least points per game process. I've talked about Pickett and the adjusted net yards pat per passing attempt stat. Uh, you know, obviously I think that's got to uh, get up over six, probably closer to the seven side. If we're talking successful season, uh, I, you know, top, top eight, eight defense seems absolutely necessary. It feels like here, uh, Alex will point to a, a lot of the situational football aspects of this team offensively. How are they on third down? Are they staying out of third and down, uh, third and long situations? Uh, what is the first down, uh, 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 successful play rate looks, uh, play percentage look like in, in this offense red zone. You know, mm -hmm. uh, red zone, red zone, red zone, uh, uh, explosive plays is something we've hit on quite a bit obvious for, 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 for obvious reasons here. I think the way kind of Ramon that you've worded this thing here, I mean, it's, you have so many different aspects here and, and worrying about right now is if Pickett is Kirk cousins or not, or, uh, you know, next three years, super bowl, uh, let's watch 2023 first, man. Hmm. Uh, let's, let's see, you know, look, when it comes to picking, and I've said this 
you know, since last season, really with any, any rookie quarterback overall, you know, I want to, I want to see what, what these kids look like after 20 NFL games are played. And obviously we're, we, you know, we should know that, you know, talk about Pickett specifically uh, through the first six games of this season. Uh, are we seeing things where that, that has our eyebrows up say, well, yeah, that's, that looks good. You know, uh, I just want to be able to take away offensively of the first six games of this season saying, yeah, Pickett's progressing. And I, and I think that's something that we'll be able to smell, touch, feel, taste, look at the stats, see it, look at the tape, see it, that aspect of it. It's a very filling question before I have my 4th of July meal. So I don't want (laughs) to get a stomach ache here. Um, I'm not yeah, the, worried in, about anything past the first six games of this season Sure. on, on all aspects of this team. Right. But just trying to at least ponder the question, I, I've had the same concern. I wonder where the ceiling for this team is. I think they're building it. So it's going to be competitive that they're going to always be in the mix, probably get a wild card spot. Can you do anything from there? It's going to be the ultimate question. So it boils down to you make the playoffs, you have improvement, you're one and done though like seasons past, is that successful for where this team is at? That is, that is the core of the question. Look, they, you... they, they got to win a playoff. They, they got to yeah. get that, that monkey off their back, man. They got, I think to, so. they got to win a playoff game. And look, uh, as we go back to things Pickett has said and done uh, since last season, everything that's happening, at least out of mouths to this point sounds Fantastic. Now we got to see it on the field. I mean, uh, you've, you've got obviously a, a more experienced offensive unit overall. Uh, Pickett knows what to expect. You don't have the combine to worry. You don't have the rookie season stuff to worry about. Uh, all the stuff that goes along with that. The pro enough progress should be there. The point should be up uh, that the, to me, the expectation should be, that this team obviously finished above 500, makes the playoffs, and we got to see a playoff win. Right. That's what it comes down to. How do you define that as successful? And obviously, you want to get back to the playoffs, get there for Kenny Pickett's first time, get there after missing last year. But the model has to show that you can win in the postseason, not just get to the playoffs. And not that that's all going to be defined by what happens in, in one particular year, but we're taking it you know, year by year as it comes. And so I think, as you said, to end that drought, break that streak, you got to win a playoff game. And so you'll be encouraged by those signs, even if you are bounced by the Chiefs or whoever in the wildcard game to really feel like you're making true progress. You got to win a playoff game. Uh, look, I, 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 you know, it, it's a, what was the stat, uh, Yesterday, that floated around from uh, was it Sam Munson about uh, from week nine to what was the stat on on on, on, on Twitter has been difficult to use, so I probably didn't see it. It was on and off for me all day, but you can look that up because I'm currently locked out essentially of Twitter right now. Let me see if I can find the stat real quick, and it's 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 not it's it's very cherry picked. Mm-hmm. Okay, here it is. From week nine onwards last year, and he says arbitrary cutoffs for the win. 
Only two quarterbacks had a big time throw rate over 5% and a turnover worthy play rate under 2%. Those two quarterbacks were Joe Burrow and Kenny Pickett. He goes on to say, I make no point with this random data point other than it surprised me when I stumbled on it. So it's a completely arbitrary random data point, but I will I, I will say this. I have it now notated to see what this what this looks like for a season for six games of the season is a perfect you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, point. What is his big time? Because look, if you if you boil down those Kenny Pickett interceptions last season, I mean, how many you know how many of them? I don't want to say were acceptable, but how many of them were? I guess not as much his fault a handful and especially if it's week nine and on you know those interceptions were mostly coming before that point that was the Steelers bye week post by week 10 and on one actual interception that was a pressure play against the Raiders I don't know how many turnover worthy ones there were but not not a ton of them and so he certainly took great care of the football the back half of last year it's why they went seven and two right now can he keep the turnover worthy play rate under two percent and in the process, push the football down the field a little bit more. You know, we'll see. You uh, hope so. I, I, here's here's my hot take. I thought Kenny Pickett in my whole deep dive review, going back and watching every single snap, was probably more successful throwing downfield than he was with the short game last okay. year. Believe it or not. All right. Uh, and once again, I this this caught. I mean, uh, look, I I can cherry pick stats with the best of them. Uh, uh, for sure. But I mean, this did kind of catch my eye here, uh, as to maybe something to watch when it comes to him, because look, if he doesn't turn the football over in the first six games, uh, and this team's able to run the football a little bit, they're going to be in some games. Oh yeah. And they're going to win some games, not just be in them for sure. Now, the only thing and I would if, just... and if the big, and if the big time throw rates over 5%, <laughs> that's not going to hurt. You know? Yeah. I mean, Joe Burrow on that list, the Bengals, one of the best teams in the AFC. Now, I I will just say is that, and and I know that you understand this, and probably most of our listeners do, this thing is not always linear that's going to just keep going up and up. There's going to be ebbs and flows. You're going to probably have one of those first six games be a stinker and just a bad game, and it happens. These things are roller coasters. The NFL season is bumpy and and turbulent, and and you just hope for you know, more growth as you kind of look at pockets of time, the first quarter of the year compared to the second quarter of the year, third quarter, fourth quarter. And so I still want to throw that caution out there not to become uber prisoners of the moment and and take and, and try to draw conclusions based off of just one game, good or bad, because there will be ebbs and flow. He's still a second year guy. It's still quarterback. Most of these guys, you know, are aren't immune to having a bad game every now and then. So you just want to put everything into context and in better totality of the season. I think, uh, and kind of what caught my eye too, is just knowing and understanding that from week nine on last year, you know, the interceptions obviously were down. Uh, he did seem, he did seem to get a little bit more comfortable overall for, for obvious reasons there. And when you do look at the, the, the interceptions that he did have prior to week nine, you know, I don't want to say explainable, but, you know, a few of them probably shouldn't have happened uh, and not by his fault, you know, mm-hmm. uh, heck his for the first pass he threw to, to, uh, to, to Claypool. I mean, that's him trying to make a play, but who was the first player to have his, have his hands on that football? Yeah, it was Claypool. Right. 
You know, uh, you pay guys to come down with footballs in 50-50 situations like that, right, which, was really more, which was really more of a 60-40, really, when, it, when you look at Claypool uh, and that first throw there. Look, I'm not I'm not none of this is me trying to paint Kenny Pickett uh, either way. I, I do this. This tweet and this stat, though, did uh, get me thinking of something to, to at least uh, add to my list of, of statistical evaluations through the first six games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just shows growth. And now can you sustain it and build upon it? That'll be the question for Kenny Pickett in year two. All right. All right. Anything else? Uh, I think we got through most of them. We kind of probably got to kind of get this wrapped up as well, too, here. So uh, if you have any questions moving forward for the podcast, uh, we'll be back on Friday. The Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause at SteedersDepot.com. If you can even get on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora, if if you're not rate limited, if you will. Uh, Once again, The Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to donate to the site, uh, SteedersDepot.com, hit the donate button up right now. Navigational bar. And as always, uh, if you want an ad free version of the site, studentsdepot.com, hit the ad free button upright navigational bar. Until Friday, as always, happy 4th of July, everybody. And as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.